Welcome to, uh, to Wellspring. I hope you've already been greeted, but if you haven't met me, if you've been here in the last maybe two weeks, was it your first time? I've been on vacation. I went, uh, did a little staycation, then went to Vermont. I uh, probably will never go back to Vermont. It is uh, not fun. It's boring. Uh, if you're from Vermont, I just offended you. I am sorry, but I got a t-shirt to support the locals. So uh, anyways, uh, so if I'm just meeting you for the first time, you need to know that I'm very competitive. Uh, I am the type of person that if I'm on the elliptical at the gym and you come up next to me and join the, get on the elliptical next to me, I won't tell you that we're in a challenge, but I'm racing you and looking at your machine to make sure that I'm always running uh, faster than you. I am super competitive. And uh, about maybe 15 years ago, I started my youth pastor journey at Bayside Chapel and I uh, got to know right away this family called the Langworthies. Uh, a big part of who, who we are and what we do, they, they helped uh, start this church. And uh, they were like, hey, why don't you come over for a board game night? Nothing could go wrong, they said. And they were wrong. Uh, and so there I was. I thought I was the most competitive person in the world until I met Shannon Langworthy. <laughs> and they said, let's play Scattergories. It's a fun game. Have you guys ever played Scattergories? Scattergories, they have this die that you roll and it has like all the uh, letters in the alphabet and you roll it and you get a letter and then there's a timer and there's like 13 subjects like that you have to like say like, oh, a city or US city or a foreign city or things you would bring on a camping trip or things you would travel with. And you have to like write a write a, uh, an answer for each one given the letter that you roll. And if you do uh, a double letter, then you get double points. But if somebody else says the same thing that you said, then you don't get points. Uh, but then there's this unique little rule in the the game. You can challenge someone's answer and you can get the whole room to give a thumbs up or a thumbs down to someone's answer and majority wins. And so Shannon Langworthy had home field advantage. Now, before I tell you what happened, I just, I just would like to ask, do, do you consider Donald Duck a boy? I know this is a wildly weird question to ask in 2022, but uh, do you consider him a boy? Do you consider Daffy Duck a girl? Uh, so would you consider Donald uh, a, a boy's name? And would you consider Daffy perhaps a girl's name? And so we had the letter D, and I put down uh, for a boy's name, Donald Duck, to get two points. And Shannon, home field advantage with her family, <laughs> convinced the whole room to go like this. I didn't get any points. And she said, it's not a big deal. Not a big deal. I've thought about it every single day for the last 15 years. Like, like how wrong could she be? Like, and she, I told, I texted her last night and said, you better watch because I'm going to convince an entire church that you are wrong and I am right. <laughs> now, where does this have to do with the end times? Absolutely nothing, because this does not matter when Jesus comes back. Uh, categories, I don't want it. But here's the point, though. We can all treat an end times discussion a little bit like categories. <laughs> One, we're scattered all over the place. Two, we're debating thumbs up or thumbs down to different philosophies or theologies, and we're all trying to be like, what's right, what's wrong? This person's a thumbs down, this person's a thumbs up, or we're just playing a game that we thought was a good time. We're like, why are we so competitive about this? Why does it matter about Donald Duck? And we, we get all sorts of bajiggity about it. The end times can bring out, just like a competitive game of categories, the absolute worst in people. And so here's what I want us to agree on. 
I don't want, there are certain things that we can be, that we can disagree on when it comes to this subject of what happens in the end and how does it continue on and the new life and all this different, all these different things. We're going to preach from our, how we read uh, God's word. But here are three things that I don't, uh, you can have whatever theology you want, but here are three things up on the screen that I think we all need to agree on. (laughs) Jesus is coming back. (laughs) We don't know when, (laughs) and we need to be ready. (laughs) We're going to say this every single week because we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of God's word. And at the end of the day, here's what we really need to know. Jesus is coming back. (laughs) We don't know when. And we all better be ready. So as we do this series, you're going to be tempted, or your friends, not you, you, you're too good for this. Uh, Your friends are going to be tempted to send Pastor Jason their crazy YouTube video from Prophet Dumbo, and I'm not going to watch it. I have no time to watch uh, any of those crazy YouTube videos, or you're going to want to find that blog post with 90s clip art and be like, no, Jason, this guy, and I'm like, I don't got time for this. So on your Wellspring uh, Recap Weekly thingy, uh, I think there's a QR code, uh, PJ. Go ahead and take out your phones. You can scan that. Get access to this right now. Uh, Go ahead and scan that because on there is things about today's sermon, but also on there is a blog post that we circulated among the elders that said we feel like this captures where we are coming from. Uh, And so if you're interested into some more of the nitty-gritty and to kind of go deeper with this whole discussion, you can scan that. You'll also get a, a um, uh, keychain on your on your way uh, out. Uh, so please look at that. The danger uh, with a series like this, we can get so caught up with what's going to happen in the end. The danger with a series like this is that we can spend time debating, 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 and less time working, working, working. And by working, 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 I mean loving, loving, loving. <laughs> So here's what I want us to do today. I want us to see that we, and when we start kind of an end times timeline, that you and I find ourselves in the church age. And in the church age, Jesus brings meaning and purpose to the church of which we are a part of. And there is work to do in the here and the now. And so we're going to start this series in Acts chapter 6, right as Jesus is going up into heaven. He's been, uh, he died, uh, he rose again. Uh, and Acts chapter 6 is the birth of the early church. And uh, I, I want to start in verse 6. And I just want, I want to read the first two verses here. So Acts chapter 6, uh, it's in the New Testament. It will also be on the screen, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, uh, Acts. Uh, and so uh, there it is. And so Acts chapter 6, verse uh, chapter 1, verse 6. Uh, so when they had come together, they asked, Lord, uh, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, uh, it is not for you to know uh, times or seasons that the Father has fixed by whose authority? His own authority. And so they're asking a question that many of us are asking. They're looking at their current reality. Uh, Jesus died, rose again. The Pharisees have all sorts of power and influence. The Romans and, and where they live, they, they want the current reality to change. They're looking and saying, man, I want the days for, if you're a Jewish person, I want the days of King David back. I want the days of King Solomon. I want that king that's going to come back and wear a king's robe, but also a king's crown and a priest's robe. I, I want my current reality to change. But the good thing is I want you to change that reality and make it better. I want the change of reality to be all about you. Now, we want many of those same things. If we look at our world and we get on social media, we go on our our news outlet, we want our world to change as well. We're asking kind of the same thing, aren't we? But Jesus is looking at them and saying, listen, relax. 
That will come. That will happen. What you want will happen. But it's not the focus right now. You don't need to know. In essence, he's kind of saying, none of your business right now. They're, they're kind of acting like um, school's about to start. Uh, I have one kid that uh, he always has homework, uh, but he always gets it done before he comes home from school. I was like, great, good for you. I was D's get degrees. I always had homework that I never got done, but you're different than me. Good for you. Uh, and then I have another son who will be at the table uh, doing his homework for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. And Ava and I will be talking, and he could care less about what Ava and I are talking about for 90% of the time, except for when he's doing his homework. <laughs> when he's doing his homework, then he cares very much what Ava, Mom, what are you saying? Mom, what are you guys talking about? What? what? And he'll ask all these sorts of questions, and Ava and I will be like, listen, this is not your concern. None of your business. Get back to your homework. Stop being distracted with what we are talking about. Jesus is looking at a group of people and saying, listen, you're neglecting the work that's before you. Here's where I need to focus you. This other stuff is not your concern right now. So when we think about our eternal rest and our eternal future, here's the big thought for us today is simply this. Future rest creates present work. As we have this whole end times discussion and the end, what's going to happen, we have to remember from the get-go that there is work to do in the here and now. And so as we move forward, as we think about what we should do in the here and now with Jesus' impending, that he is coming back, here's what we need to remember, that there are a few things to focus our work in the here and the now. And the first one is that there is might. There is a might to the work that we have. Jesus uh, goes on and says this uh, to them. Uh, when he had said, fixed, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. They, they knew the Holy Spirit as something that was temporary. They knew the Holy Spirit from, from their Old Testament days. It was just their scriptures that this was something that would come among somebody, but it would, be, it would be a temporary. It wouldn't be a fixed thing in somebody's life. Jesus is now rocking their world is saying that you are going to receive the Holy Spirit and it is going to stay with you. That there is a work to do, but it's going to be a work that it's empowered by the Spirit of God. This word power is something that, that they would look at and they would understand that if there, if there is a rock that needs to be moved, that the power is I have the ability to move that rock. Whatever is needed to do the thing that needs to be done, I can make a difference or I can do the thing. So they would understand that the Holy Spirit is needed for the work. And then what happens, I love that song that we sang, King of Kings, the church blew up. <laughs> the church was born. Because 10 days from when Jesus is saying all this, Jesus comes upon them through the Holy Spirit, and the church erupts. Since that day, there's been no such thing as a Christian without the Holy Spirit. <laughs> when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, guess what you instantly have? <laughs> the Holy Spirit. That means instantly the same power that rose Jesus from the grave the second you place your faith in Jesus Christ, lives up inside of you. And so we are to use it for evangelism. We're to use it to share God's love with the world. We're to use it for service. We're to, we're to use it to build his church. I grew up in a, in a day and age. I saw my family over vacation, my family from New Hampshire. I, I grew up in, I guess, a culture where, uh, where gambling was like the biggest sin in the world. And my parents are watching this. I'm kind of joking on them. But it was the biggest sin in the world except for Christmas time, uh, during the Christmas stocking scratcher, 
uh, because we weren't allowed to gamble, but we always got a Christmas stocking scratcher. And I never really understood that, but we all got one. And so uh, in my family, uh, if you're going to look at anybody in my family and be like, oh, that's the saint. Uh, that would be my Nana. Uh, my Nana is the saint uh, in the family. And so if the gambling industry owes anybody money, it would be, in comparison to my grandmother, it would be the delinquents in the family. Shouldn't the gambling industry owe my brothers and I and not give any money uh, to my uh, Nana, who's never spent a dime gambling in her life? And you would think that, right? But last Christmas, there was only one person that won $20 off of the Christmas scratcher, and it was my saint of a grandmother, Nana. Uh, Nana, who won the $20, and I'm pretty sure she didn't even cash it in. Like, like what a waste. She, they owed me that money, uh, and so I didn't get it. But while I was on vacation, uh, I was thinking about this because did you guys see in recent days that the, the lottery, Mega Millions or Powerball, whichever one, got to over a billion dollars? <laughs> yeah, see that? Like, that was, that's insanity. Like, that's just insanity. And did you see that one person from, uh, from the Chicago area won it? One person went from broke as a joke on Coke to he might as well be Mr. Coca-Cola. Like he might have that, he might as well have that last name. He woke up one day with more money than he's ever seen in his entire life. Can you imagine? And as I was thinking about that this week, I was like, you know who doesn't play the lottery? Jeff Bezos's kids. <laughs> you know who doesn't play the lottery? Uh, Elon Musk's kids. I, I don't even know if Jeff Bezos has kids, but uh, let's just assume they do. But like, they, they don't play the lottery. And if they did, you'd be like, huh, what? And can you imagine if, like, if they went to uh, Elon or Jeff, uh, and I know them on a first name basis, uh, if they went to them and, and said, hey, I, I need to play the lottery, the dads would be like, do you understand how far from bankrupt you are? <laughs> you don't need to do any of that. There is absolutely no need. You are so far from bankrupt. You know what is not true? A phrase that I've actually heard before is a, a bankrupt Christian. That's not, that's not true. The only people bankrupt in our society are those far from God, are those without Jesus, the unsaved, the, the, the non-Christian. They're the ones that are spiritually bankrupt. There's no such thing as a spiritually bankrupt Christian, but you know what there is such a thing as? A person who looks like they're bankrupt. So many Christians walking around living as if they don't have the biggest bank account, spiritually speaking, when in all reality they do. They're ignorant to what is actually theirs. And so if you are aware of the Holy Spirit power living up inside you, here are three things that you should do and that it should impact right away. It's up on the screen. First, it should impact your prayers. If you have Holy Spirit that can raise Jesus from the grave, shouldn't that impact your prayers? Shouldn't, that, shouldn't you be praying big, bold prayers because you serve a big, bold God that wants you to do big, bold things? Secondly, it should impact how you pray for what? The people that you feel are so lost or so God or that, that family member, that, that spouse, that uncle, that brother that you hate, that God could never get a hold of, but he's, he actually wants you to love your enemies even when it might be your own family member or your own coworker, that you're willing to pray, God break me for the things that break your heart. I want to be a beacon of love and hope. God use me. It should change change how you pray for other people. And it should lastly change your personal growth efforts. God, I've been trying so hard to overcome this and overcome this and overcome this, but I'll never do it. 
I'll always have a potty mouth. I'll, I'll always have a gambling uh, problem, taking that to sinful levels. I'll always, I'll, I'll never fully love my spouse. I'll, God, I'll never, I'll, I'll always kind of skim a little bit from my work. God, I just, it's my own little secret thing. If we understand Holy Spirit power within us, we can overcome anything with the Spirit of God living up inside of us. The second thing that focuses our efforts uh, for the present work is, is the mission. Uh, Jesus goes on uh, to say uh, that, and when he said these things, nope, nope, but they will receive power of the Holy Spirit, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That he's looking at a group of people and saying, you're going to be uh, witnesses locally or regionally and globally. He's talking to a group of people that many of them, most of them, if not all of them, had not traveled more than 200 miles. He's talking to them that had walked around with Jesus and Jesus stayed in the nation of Israel. And now he's saying, hey, the work I'm giving you is going to be, go beyond the work that we did here on earth because of the Holy Spirit and where I want you to take this. I want you, and did you, you have to know the Jewish culture to know what a bombshell this was for Jesus to have the guts and, and the tenacity to say, you're going to take it regionally to Samaria. You're going to take it to the people that hate you and you hate them. That culturally, well, somebody else should reach them. God, you know what, God, if you're so powerful, raise up somebody from within Samaria to reach them. Don't send me there. I culturally, naturally hate them. They hated each other. But Jesus wants them to bring this power of the Holy Spirit, this mission, beyond just where they're comfortable in their homes and in, their, in the city of Jerusalem to way beyond. And there's such a, 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 you'd have to dig into the Greek. When he uses the word witness, he uses a word that has Marty that goes to martyrdom. In the word witness is implied suffering. Jesus is saying, as you go and you break down geographical barriers, but you also break down cultural barriers, you are going to suffer. The road to glory is paved with suffering. Are you willing to be my witnesses and to suffer to be my witnesses? To suffer as you talk about the good that you have seen, the good that you have experienced. Here's what you should expect. What happened to our suffering Savior should also happen to us. Well, great, Jason, that's a call for missionaries. No, it is not. This is a call given to all Christians. You've placed your faith in Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit. You have a call to suffer in the name of Jesus and to bring him glory through it. To bring him glory through it. To bring him glory through it. Because it was the early church that was able to sing songs of praise on their way to death, that was able to turn the world upside down that we can suffer and that we can see Jesus through it, that there is a work to be done. I'm not looking at missionaries to do the work because if you have Holy Spirit power living up inside of you, you're a missionary. The question is really where and, and when. Right now, you are a missionary. To whom should I bring this gospel message to? This is the mission of the church of which you are a part of. Jesus is coming back. Church, we have work to do. Now, before vacation and on vacation, I was reading uh, the, following, uh, the following books. Three books. I've been kind of on this like 
uh, Navy SEAL uh, type thing. And uh, embrace the suck. Uh, and Nana's going to text me about that. Uh, endure, uh, endure, uh, and can't hurt me. None of these are Christian books, so please don't read them thinking that you're going to get rose flowery uh, Bible verse for everything. They're not. They're written by Navy SEALs, so expect that. Uh, but so, like, you would look at that and be like, Jason, you're a good time. You would be wrong. But, like, those books uh, speak to me. Like, I, I was really getting a lot of these books and, like, really suffering and do the hard work and, like, embrace, like, hardship. Embrace that, man. Anything good that happens in life, like, man, there is some work and there is some suffering that should come with that. And uh, this book in particular is not written by a Navy SEAL, but because of his lifestyle, he uh, this guy actually wrote the, um, uh, the forward or whatever in it. And uh, he's, he's a bow hunter. Uh, and so his big thing was like, when I, when I go out and I get a backpack full of stuff and I'm going out into the woods and uh, he's like now making millions being sponsored for bow hunting, but he's become an ultra marathoner uh, running like 150 mile races in like the most extreme circumstances. And like, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't even run three miles. And you know, I'm like, who, who does that like willy nilly? Like he'll wake up at 5 a.m. to run a marathon before work. It's like stupid, stupid. Like anybody would be like, you're dumb. And they would, and yeah, like, okay. And, uh, and so like one, the time he was talking, this guy, uh, Cameron Haynes, uh, he was talking to a group of people uh, close to his house, and he's like, hey, there's a trail I'm running. I always run. He's talking about like how you have to suffer and how you have to like always be preparing for what could come. And he's like, well, there's a rock. It's probably around 70 pounds. Like, I think we should go pick up that rock and run with it. And uh, like two people said okay to that. And, uh, and so it's become part of his training regimen where he got it weighed and actually weighs 100 pounds. But well, he'll go on like a five, 10 mile runs holding a 100 pound rock, like stupid, right? Uh, but it also makes him a pretty good bow hunter as he's now gone through stuff like this to do what he actually loves doing in bow hunting in that country and whatnot. So two pictures of power. When you think of power, when you think of might, some of us would go like a bodybuilder, right? Like there's a guy with muscles on top of muscles, like mus like body parts that I don't even have. He has his muscles. Like like that's a that's a body bodybuilder, and that's actually Cameron Haynes. Uh, and those are two different versions of strength. There's not too many uh, sculpting bodybuilders that have muscles upon upon muscles upon upon muscles that actually set the world record in actually weightlifting because there's a way to manipulate your body or to get enough strength but then to, to cut water and to cut different things to, to look strong and to sculpt and whatnot. And there's strength in there too. Like obviously he's stronger than I am. I'm not going to pretend like that. But, but if, if there's somebody that has raw strength, like I would look at Cameron Haynes. I would look at a Navy SEAL. I would look differently. The people that are, are benching the most weight, the people that are deadlifting, the people that are doing that, they usually don't look exactly like this. <laughs> They, are, they look different. Sometimes they actually look a little meaty. When you think about the world's strongest men or strongest women, they actually kind of look a little meaty at times. But they can lift a lot. See, there's a difference between the power of show and the power of do. There's people that can do a lot, and there's people that show and look powerful. We need more Christians looking less like they are powerful enough to show. <laughs> They show, like they, they, they show up, they read, they say the right prayer. They're so showy at times. And there's a place for that. But there's also a place to go and to do, to do the hard thing and have the Holy Spirit power living up inside of you. I want, I want to see more Christians not fighting for the rights of the church. See, I don't think that's the biggest injustice in the church today, that we're losing our rights in, in the American society. What I see is the biggest injustice in the American church are Christians with Holy Spirit power living up inside of them, doing absolutely nothing about it. 
you and I are going to one day have to stand before God and give account for how we made much of the Holy Spirit or how we made very little of the Holy Spirit. Is it the power of show or is it the power of do? So now comes the mode. I was like, Jason, you're talking about suffering. Jason, this is my first Sunday. I will never be back as you're telling me to pick up a rock that weighs 100. Like, okay, let's, let's talk about the motive here for a second. Uh, Jesus goes on and says this. And when he had said these things, they were looking on and he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood uh, by them uh, in white robes, uh, angels, and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from, uh, from you into heaven will come in the same way uh, that as you saw him go into heaven. So they're talking, they have a nice conversation, like, Jesus, we saw you die. One of them did. Uh, and uh, now you're like, you're back, and hey, this is good. Like, let's, you know, and like, all of a sudden, gone. And like, we've maybe read this story before. Maybe we've heard about this before. And it's like, we can get so disillusioned with these Bible stories. But you think about real men and women sitting and talking with Jesus, and all of a sudden, he goes up into heaven. Like, we cannot act like this is a normal thing. <laughs> no one here has elevated uh, that to my knowledge. <laughs> so, so here it is. Jesus elevates and go up, goes up into heaven. And two angels have the tenacity to be like, what are you looking at? What do you mean, what am I looking at? A dude just floated up into heaven. <laughs> but from the angels, like, we would look at that and say, that's a stupid question. But from the angels' perspective, Jesus just gave you marching orders, get to work. Because for an angel, Jesus says do and you do. Jesus says go and you go. Jesus says, hey, go deliver this message and you go and you deliver that message. There is no pausing. So for the angels in their perspective and their angel culture, if that's a thing, uh, they would look and say, Jesus just told you to do something. Why are you staring? Get to work. Go do the thing that he was just talking about. Oh, and by the way, he's coming back. He's coming back. And you're going to have to give an account for how you lived in his absence. You're going to give an account. Jesus is coming back. He could come back at any moment. And so that, for you and I, serves as the motive. Every single day, for the, for if Jesus could rapture his church, we'll get into that in a little bit. Don't go crazy places with that. Uh, uh, Jesus could call the church home, and this could be our last day on planet Earth as Christians. <laughs> what are we going to do about it? How do you react when you're surprised? Let me, let me give you three ways in my home that we act sometimes. Uh, I, Ava's here, so now I, I, I really did contemplate all week if I was going to be open with you guys about this because now Ava's going to be like, you're lying. So uh, in my home, uh, sometimes as a parent, uh, like especially on a Friday, I will wake up naturally at like 6 or 7 in the morning, and, uh, and my kids won't be awake, and so I'll be on playing guitar or doing something on my phone, uh, and then I'll hear the pitter-patter come down the hallway and sometimes it will catch me by surprise and so every parent knows the boss move when they're laying in bed and a kid or a spouse comes walking in all of a sudden you drop the phone and it's on your car <laughs> and you just sit there and then they like and then they'll say i know you're awake and you i know you're awake and then you, like and sometimes like i am a master at this i can convince my family that i am asleep everybody but my dog i can convince that i am asleep right like, that's like, you catch me by surprise, and I drop my phone, and it's like, ah, I'm sleeping, okay? My kids, you walk in on them, 
And all of a sudden, it's like they're on, they're on their phones or they're on one of our phones. And all of a sudden, like, I walk in the room and they're like scrolling up. And they're like deleting things. All of a sudden, I'm like, uh, huh, the Bible is really the second thing on your screen? <laughs> like, you scrolled up and all of a sudden you're on the Bible. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're not going to see what's on my main screen, but the Bible's the second screen. I got that preloaded to be like, my mom or dad are walking in. All of a sudden, the Bible's the second thing that's going to pop up on my screen. So, come on, we do that. Like, we're at work, we're playing a game, and all of a sudden, like, the work uh, spreadsheet is on the second screen. Like, okay, like, let's not pretend. Uh, but we kind of have this, this planned out. Uh, if someone were to walk in, like, how we're going to get to what should be on my phone or my screen is, is all of a sudden there. Uh, I do this when I, when I come home and I, like, I don't give my, my kids a heads up. Like, you'll walk through the door and what do you say? Daddy's home. And depending on what's been going on, that's welcomed or that's, oh, poop. <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta do something. I should have cleaned up. At some point, Jesus is coming back. And in essence, he's going to say, Daddy's home. <laughs> I mean, a lot of those illustrations that I just gave, like, they're harmless. But if they define you, they're not so harmless. (laughs) Once in a while, perhaps, but you and I as Christians, Jesus is coming back. What motivates you? Are you motivated by the gospel? Because if the gospel motivates you, then you don't see this as church. You see this as a part of church life. If the gospel motivates you, you understandably see the good things in your life and you're like, man, that will never get in the way of the best thing in life, my relationship with Jesus Christ. If the gospel motivates you and the Holy Spirit power lives up inside of you, then of course God gets the best of your calendar and the best of your finances. If God really does and the Holy Spirit motivates you to love Jesus with all of your heart, mind, and soul, then you're going to be a beacon of hope, a dispenser of kindness, and a gospel ambassador future rest creates present work. We have, we have the might, we have the mission, and we have the motive. The crazy thing about this passage, I think the craziest thing in the world is that God doesn't need us to build this church. He's all powerful. But he chooses to put you and I into the equation. He entrusts us with the mission that he died for. I don't know about you, but I feel like a wicked big failure often. And my Jesus trusts me to push the mission forward. Here's a passage from 2 Corinthians that I think encapsulates what we should do in the church age. All this is from God who, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. That's, that's our faith. That's what, As Christians, that's what we believe. And gave us what? Upon faith, upon belief, what did he give us? A ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, but what? What's that word? Entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us that we implore you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him who to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What did he do? He entrusted you. He trusts you with the message. He trusts the Holy Spirit living up inside of you. Is the Holy Spirit infused inside of you or is the Holy Spirit up inside you a ball of frustration? Because the Holy Spirit wants to get to work building his kingdom. A handful of years ago, there was an ambassador that was fired. Do you know why he or she, I think it was a she, why she was fired? 
she wasn't an ambassador to any one of our allies, but but in the in the culture that was going on at that time, they were doing a lot of work with the allies. And for months upon months, the allies were reporting back to the administration, hey, this person is talking a lot of garbage on the administration. And so that person quickly got fired. Why? Because what is the ambassador supposed to do? Supposed to go to a foreign country and talk on behalf of the rule, on the interests of the land in which they are coming from. You and I are not Earth's representatives. We are Heaven's representatives here on Earth. You are ambassadors for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We talk, we take people through leadership and we ask them that question, are you ever not an ambassador of Jesus Christ? always an ambassador. Are you ever not a child of God? No, you're always a child of God, and therefore you're always leading. And so my, my question to you is why? Please, here's two phrases that I want to show you real quick. Two things that you will not find in the Bible that I think play into this. This is a, an online concordance called a Blue Letter Bible, uh, and I typed in spiritual life, zero results. I typed in spiritual walk, zero results. Why? Because you can look in the early church, you can look throughout the scriptures, and this is not a concept that they talk about, your spiritual life or your spiritual walk, but you hear that in churches. Why don't you see that in scripture? You see that because when Christ made a new creation, your life in Christ is your life. This is not something you do on a Sunday. This is not something you do on a Monday or a Tuesday when you go to life group. This is something that you do at work. This is something that you do at your in your families. This is something that you do when you're about to get a promotion or when you lose your job or when you're newly married or when you're going through a divorce. Whatever it is, you are a child of God and you are on mission. We're not meant to live a segmented life. Your spiritual life is simply life, the life that Christ died to give you. And that's the life that we live. And so here's my challenge to us as, as we close out uh, today's uh, service. It's going to be the same every single week, but we'll apply it differently. The first one is simply this. Level one is pursue community like he's coming tomorrow. I cannot get through this broken, terrible life of suffering without the church that God has gifted me with. So why do you exclude the church from your life? It is meant to be the gift in your life to walk through the brokenness of this world. And so where I want to apply that and suggest as an action step is for this one series, I think it's five weeks, would you commit to being here every single week and being present with your church family as we wrestle through? The second level, the, the, to pray for one like it's the last one. What if Jesus comes back today? You're more butthurt about what's going on in politics and you're less butthurt about, well, you've not shared the gospel with anybody in the last five years. Pray for one that God's going to call you today. So my encouragement is this week to, to simply, let's start with something simple. Invite two people to church next week. And pray for the Holy Spirit power to roil up inside you. They might actually say yes to us in a new way. God, I pray as we go into this last song of worship, Lord, that the, the church that prays, the church that sings, Lord, that right now this will not be just in a Sunday experience or a, a 9 a.m. thing, but Father, we're calling out to you, we're giving you words. 
were, Father, you died for this church and the church at large. Father, I pray that right now as we go into this, this final song that you would motivate us as we actually worship you to go and live the life that we're seeking in the world, to go and be missionaries, to go and do the work and to do the hard thing, to suffer when you call us to suffer. God, would you be glorified? Stand, sing with me.